0: Welcome to Gold with Jeanette Schneider, nuggets of inspiration for a bigger, badder, more purposeful life. Each week we share wisdom, insights, and gold from those living their very best lives. After 23 years in finance, I left my executive role to advocate for women and girls in life, love, the boardroom, and the marketplace. Now the CEO of Live Media, I am thrilled to create wellness-based content and technologies to help you level up and become more conscious of your ripple. The Live app launched Christmas Day for Apple iOS. This is purposeful content, big conversations, and a beautiful place for us to share our gold, our dreams, and create community. Gold is a live media production brought to you from the sound studio at the live headquarters. Noelle Cordo believes you can hack your brain for positivity and offers the basic neurobiology that offers a user's guide to your brain. She shares the importance of understanding the signals your feelings provide so that we can then biohack our system to move back to our prefrontal cortex. Sound complicated? Not if you learn to read your own signals and agree that it is impossible to make a good decision when you are having big feelings. Noelle Cordeau is CEO and co-founder of Journey Coaching, a feminist scholar, ICF-certified coach, speaker, and sexologist who specializes in the relationship with the self. She has carved out a unique niche in the world of coaching, combining positive psychology with clinical sexology to help her clients gain true progress. Let's dig in. Hi, this is Jeanette Schneider, and I am here with Noelle Cordeaux. Thank you for joining me today. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I am so excited to talk to you about, um, it's. we're talking to some extent about neurohacking, using your, your brain and understanding it um, as a, a user guide. And I love that because I find out that so many times we are so kind of, we don't know how to observe ourselves. We are mysteries unto ourselves. And to really kind of take a step back and move into a place of observation and understand from more of a scientific and biological perspective, why we do the things we do, um, and I know that this is the space that you live and play within. So I'm curious, first and foremost, like what about this subject really resonates with you and helps you in your own role when you're coaching or teaching others? Yeah, so I can peel back several years to when I
1: first started Working with this science, and I was in my early 30s. I was—I um, got divorced when I was 29. I was really struggling to make sense of the world around me, the things that I felt. Oftentimes, when we feel big feelings or when we feel emotions, we take it as signals. Whether that's from you know romance or poetry or songs or movies, that oh, this this feeling somehow defines my world. And in graduate school, when I really began to study neurobiology and how our brains and bodies actually work, white bulbs went off left and right. And I couldn't believe that we weren't taught how your brain actually works in second grade so that we all had information about um, noting the difference essentially between feelings and facts so mm-hmm. that we can better navigate based on the factual side of things.
0: I love that because I, I'm, a, I'm a mother to, I've got two nine-year-olds um, and it's so funny. I was navigating an argument between them uh, last night and I, the idea of children understanding um, how and why they react and respond from such a young age, like I'm totally an advocate of that being like second grade cr- curriculum because wow, this is hard. Um, when you talk about feelings versus facts, like break this down for us. Like, let's get a little bit deeper because I think you're right. So many times we look at these things as being signs or signals, and I'm sure that there's, you know, past experiences that we are equating them to. Um, but how biologically are we to kind of understand ourselves so that we're not making decisions that are, that are incorrect. Like we're not making them based on emotion, but rather on what makes sense physiologically. Yeah. So
1: the soundbite that you can give to your kiddos is um, it is impossible to make a good decision when you're having big feelings. Mm, I like that. End of story. And the way that we can understand this is, you know, our brains and our bodies are really, really fascinating. The reason that we're all here today is because our ancestors were really good at avoiding danger and they were really good at surviving. And so we have all of these motivational systems, neurotransmitters, feedback loops, and different parts of our brains that have evolved historically to do different things for us. And that once served humanity in a very, different way than we function right now. So for example, have you ever heard of the term negativity bias? I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Negativity bias is a really big deal. It is the natural inclination of our brain through our nervous system to focus on and hone in on that which is negative. And that's where our fight or flight response comes from. Mm-hmm. And it's really useful, or it was really useful in context, because back in the olden days, if there was a charging woolly mammoth, it would be very inconvenient for the rational side of your brain. That's governed by your prefrontal cortex to say, Hey, should I run? Should I hide? Should I jump? No, we needed our bodily systems just to really jump into action so that we could avoid that danger. What that looks like today is we can see our bent towards negativity bias really mirrored in the outside world from salacious news headlines to, um, billboards to the way that if you look at a a news show, the headlines are kind of flashing at the bottom or even gossip. No one ever sits down with another person and says, let me tell you how great so-and-so is doing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen. We are biased towards the negative. And what that does for us is it, it does a couple of different things. So it creates um, a chemical environment in our brain where we have a harder time noticing that which is good and that which we can hold up and say, okay, you know, this is this is positive right alongside of that which is negative. And it also kind of blinds us in a way because when that fight or flight, cortisol streaming kicks in and our nervous system um, starts firing, we're in our limbic brain. Our limbic brain houses our emotions, both positive and negative, but it's also where your amygdala is. That's the oldest part of your brain, otherwise known as the reptilian brain. And when your limbic system, your feeling brain is turned on, your prefrontal cortex, your logical brain is turned off. And so quite literally, when you're in your emotional brain and having very big feelings, your logic center is suspended and you can't function and make a decision based on rational fact.
0: This is so important, even as of right now, right? We're, we're recording, we're going through a period of time where we're experiencing a pandemic. And it's really interesting when we talk about survival, because I've seen so much Um, coming out of the scientific and psychological community, talking about how we even right now are in that limbic system. We are, if you find yourself unable to make decisions right now, if you find yourself a little hazy or you can't focus, understand that your brain is processing um, in this kind of survival mode. And what's really interesting is I feel like a lot of people judge themselves for it. They almost feel ashamed as if like they should be able to suck it up and go harder and to get clear and to, um, but if you think about it, like as you're talking about, this is part of the biology that's kept us alive for centuries. This is what has helped us survive.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And and the most important and, and I'd say critical thing to come out of this, totally taking off on your anti-shame approach, is you know these motivational loops and systems that are in our brain. We are subject to them, mm. and you know, if you don't have this information, if you've never heard about negativity bias, if you don't understand how to work with and manipulate the brain chemicals so that you can be less subject to it, your animal instincts are kicking in and we are animals, you know, we are a species of animal. And so, you know, cut yourself a break by all means and say, wow, how fascinating that I've been subject to these really ancient motivational loops that kept my ancestors alive."
0: I love that by giving it kind of some perspective. I'm curious though because of the fact that we're we're operating in that space right now or when we're upset or we're in a fight or we're having some type of emotional response even outside of a pandemic. Um when you have this, when you're in this space and you're experiencing massive rushes of cortisol and you're working from that, does that cause any type of long-term rewiring of the brain? Is there something that we can do to relieve it or to calm it? Or is it something like we have to get through the experience before we can kind of go back into our prefrontal frontal cortex?
1: Oh, all of the above and I can kind of take, take a lot of different points and explain them. So, um, your brain works And your body works like a series of pulleys and levers, different systems that are at play. So juxtaposing your your nervous system that delivers negative emotions. Negative emotions when they course through your brain and body are very rapid and fast acting. And that's because we needed to notice danger when it was quite present. So if we're thinking about this, a zebra is in the wild, senses the presence of a tiger or a lion, uh, runs as fast as it can, avoids the danger happily, and then takes a nap, has a good meal when it wakes up and goes on about its day. If humans, and for those of you at home who can, you know, do something like go for a run, that's the way that our bodies were meant to expend this cortisol energy is to physically run or physically fight, survive the danger, and then Your systems will come down again. But because most adults don't have the opportunity when they get into a situation where they're really fussy to go for a run, burn off that energy, have a good meal, take a nap, we're stuck with it and we're kind of stuck in it. Um, There's a secondary system at play, which is our endocrine system. And our endocrine system is responsible for the slow pulsing of hormones that accompany positive emotions, which is oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine and positive emotions are interestingly much more plentiful at any given time than negative emotions, but they're subtle. They're not rapid and fast acting. They don't pack a punch. They come on like slow pulsing waves. And so when we lean on our endocrine system to produce the pulsing of positive emotions, it has a couple of different outcomes. Number one, you can't experience a negative emotion and a positive emotion at the same time. So psychologically, intentionally, intentionally, inducing a positive emotion is a great swap out. And we can talk about how to do that. Um, Also, what happens is you start to flood your brain and your body with those hormones and neurotransmitters, and that builds up in your brain uh, kind of like a force field of resiliency and contributes to an optimistic lens and outlook on life. And positive emotions repair Cardiovascular damage caused by stress. Um, Positive emotions also increase your coordination. Positive emotions increase your capacity for pair bonding and social bonding, which gives you um, less feelings of scarcity, more social, adorable resources, and the list goes on and on and on. So we're thinking okay, we have these two systems. One is really visible, and the other is really subtle, but if we lean into that more subtle, endocrine system, we can have a tremendous impact on the way we experience
0: things. It's so interesting. So I have have always considered myself a very physical person and I have to work out and I have to. And it's even funny when I'm under extreme stress, I feel stronger. (laughs) Like it's almost like there's this anger that's coming out of me as I'm working out. I'm like, oh, look at me. I got a strong core. Um, And that's been my my own way of dealing with that and, and moving those emotions out. But you mentioned swapping out, right? Because for me, I have practices in place, right? I can I can have a really great workout and then move into some of my self care practices where I'm looking for gratitude or mindfulness or self care that is clearly helping me move into that endocrine system and to kind of um, replace. But how do you, for someone who doesn't have all of these tools in their in their kit, how do you do that swapping out? What's what's the best option? Yeah, so. There's a lot of different
1: directions to take this, but some some practical tools is just to really frame the conversation. So a great way to think about this is that positive emotions pack a nutritional punch very similar to fruits and vegetables. Hmm. And yeah, so if you have just one carrot, it's really not going to make that much of an impact on your overall physical health. If you do, you know, a half hearted workout for 20 minutes and leave it at that, you're not going to come up with a strong body. But, um, if you consistently eat fruits and vegetables and are consistently flooding your body with these nutrients, you will develop the nutritional punch that will elevate your well-being. Same deal with positive emotions. They stack on top of each other. So if you're looking for a practice to do this, it's regular, uh, with repetition and something that you can kind of attach to easily. And there's also a time frame associated with it. In order for your endocrine system to get pumping and, and really visualize it as a pump, you're pumping these chemicals into your brain, exercise also creates uh, all of the same hormone um, the hormone environments that you need to get the same punch. So exercise is a great positive intervention, Um, but something like gratitude, looking at the sky. And when you're sustaining this focus, 10 to 20 seconds is what it takes to really get there.
0: Today, Gold is brought to you by Live Media and the Live Pocket Coach, available on the Apple App Store now. Not only is Live like a life coach in your pocket, but we have coaches in 3D as well. With our most recent upgrade, you can sign up for one-on-one coaching with a person on the phone who will hold you down, hold you accountable, and offer you perspective as you build your big, bad, beautiful new life. Apple users can sign up for our premium plus plan through the app, or check out our next level and mastery options at loveisviral.com forward slash coaching. Android users, we haven't forgotten about you. Live coaching is available to you as well. Just reach out to us at DearLive at loveisviral.com and we'll fill you in on all the ways Live can create with you. Live Pocket Coach, welcome to your life. I love that. I have we have something in our home. Um, we do a twenty-second hug. Have you heard of that? Yeah. So my daughter, whenever she has very big emotions. Um, we'll, we'll put in like, we'll, well, like, do you need a 20 second hug and I'll hold her and we'll count to 20 together, like chest to chest, just this big hug. And like, you can feel her calming down and then we can typically talk after it. And sometimes it's, it's a hard one. She's like, can I have a 60 second hug? And I'm like, oh. yes, of course. Um, to try to help her relieve all of these big feelings and kind of got to, and it's, it's really about, it sounds like presence, right? You're getting to a place of presence that looking at the sky or, feeling gratitude, not worrying about past or future events or survival, but being in that moment being in that
1: moment and intentionally pulling up that which is positive to hold up alongside of that which is negative. Because we don't want to suppress negative emotions. We want to calm that nervous system so that the chemicals will dissipate. If we suppress our negative emotions and we deny them and we invalidate them, we're basically stuffing them and they'll come out in other ways, which can get pretty gnarly. Um, So another technique there would be called naming the emotion. I feel angry. I feel sad. I feel frustrated. And the act of naming the emotion lets your body know that you're taking those feelings seriously and your prefrontal cortex starts to wake up. So you start to move from your limbic system into your prefrontal cortex because it's saying, oh, hey, is there a decision that needs to be made here? We seem to be naming things in a logical, rational way. And that can get you over the hump. And then a lot, right alongside of that, well, I also feel gratitude. I also think that the sky is really beautiful. I also really had a fun conversation yesterday with my sister or my friend, and in that way, we're getting a really even, equal view of what might be going on.
0: I love that, and I, I wanna, I wanna clarify because when you talk about calming negative emotions. That's different than, like you said, rep- like pushing them down, and and repressing them. And would you suggest that maybe, so like, I'm a big advocate for processing emotions, but in a very kind and nurturing way towards yourself, right? What would you say to someone who has had some, maybe some trauma or some significant events who has struggled with processing emotions or past events um, and, and finds themselves triggered or struggling with these mindfulness processes? Is there a safe way for them to kind of move these Feelings and these uh, past traumas outside of themselves.
1: Yeah, or, or or I'd say not moving these past traumas outside of themselves because they're often superpowers, right? Um, but to to come up with a new way of relating to them, certainly, and this is again where. I think neurobiology can be so remarkably helpful. So let's explain a little bit about what happens when you have a triggering thought or triggering feeling. Your thoughts are based on outside stimuli or your somatic responses. The way we experience our thoughts and our emotions and the feelings that take place in our bodies are based on outside stimuli. So outside stimuli is something you see, something you hear, something you touch, taste, smell. It's sensory based then your thought travels down a neuro pathway if you've had some sort of traumatic event happen it's housed in your memory and Literally, it's housed in a neural mass. Neural masses look like little gray clouds, and you can see them on specialized MRI scans. And in those little gray clouds are shards of memory and thought and emotion. And when your thought travels through it, it splinters like a prism, and that's when we have something that's called a negative automatic thought. And the body usually goes first. So you might experience tightness in your chest, throat, stomach, back of the neck. It's almost like an anguished wincing of, "Ugh, you know, I don't like the way that I feel. And therapy and so many wonderful modalities like EMDR have done a really great job at helping people to process and come to terms with what happened to them and to use perhaps EMDR, which is a PTSD treatment to drain those neural masses. But the science of neuroplasticity tells us that we can actually build new neuropathways based on the same outside stimuli that don't have those little gray clouds, those neural masses on them. And the technique there is to begin to, and I do recommend working with a coach on this, is to harness and really get into when you feel this way, when you have this icky feeling that you don't like what do you want to think feel and experience instead
0: mm-hmm. I love that so you're choosing you're you're almost kind of trying to replace that that memory or that experience with a new one
1: That is exactly what you're doing. You're taking control over, okay, this is now how I would like to think, feel, and experience instead. And with enough repetition, you'll actually build out a
0: new neural pathway to the same outside stimuli. So like, it's like you're hacking. (laughs) You're hacking. Yeah. I love that because I don't think that we even, I feel like sometimes we feel like we're passengers, right? And that we it's automatic and it's, it's what it is. Right. And we are, it's instead kind of taking responsibility for the little gray masses. For
1: the little gray masses, for the roads, for the pathways, you know, you can build in your brain just like any other contractor out there.
0: <laughs> I love that. I was actually thinking that I was like, it's so funny. Cause right now with everyone off the roads, they're repaving all the roads in town. And so immediately I was like, it's like, you're like a, your own government mm-hmm. and You're <laughs> going through and and repaving, which I think is so powerful, and so many times, like in visualizations, um, when I'm imagining or trying to kind of release old thoughts, feelings, emotions, I even imagine that it's almost like concrete breaking, right? And and that we have new growth coming up from within, but we got to clear the concrete first. Um, so, what do you feel? How do you feel that visualization um, works in in this kind of neurohacking? hacking?
1: Yeah, so visualization can go in a couple of different directions. I find that using kind of analogy and metaphor as we are today is really helpful to understand what takes place in your brain. I like to explain our brains often as landscape. And if you imagine, you know, this huge piece of land that has only part of it lit up with your neural pathways, you have all this other land in your brain that you can play with and build on for the rest of your life. And then if we're thinking about using visualization for goal accomplishment, for stepping into a future state, whether that's physical, emotional, mental, professional, you know, whatever, um, that actually goes back to the science of priming which comes from the discipline of sports psychology, and that's where it was first really seriously researched. And priming is something that was first used to train very serious athletes to visualize shooting the basket or the time that they wanted to hit. And many athletes would write or tattoo the numbers on their bodies in order to really step into that embodiment, and kind of from there, it. it Melded into the field of coaching and executive coaching, and the science of goal setting theory, um, and priming is a phenomenon. It's 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 when you hold an image. In your mind's eye, in a safe and non judgmental place, whether it's physically pulling it up inside your brain or creating something like a vision board, you are more likely to follow through with that behavior or gain that thing or accomplish whatever it is you have put in front of yourself.
0: I love it because I feel like there's such a, a conversion of science and, you know, they talk about, um, uh, what is it called when you call things in? You're manifesting, or the the vision boards, or um, I'm try- I can't think. What's the secret based on the law of attraction? Yeah, right? and I just find it so fascinating because so many people will kind of like knock these things down and be like, oh, that's very woo, it's very spiritual. But I feel like there's almost like a a, a street where th- these things meet, right, where they become scientific.
1: Very much so. And it really depends on who's asking the questions Mm -hmm. and who's answering them, right? So, you know, everything that I just explained is the direct science behind why vision boards work. (laughs) And it, it comes from sports psychology and goal setting theory, and it's pretty cool stuff.
0: I love it. I think it's. I think it's amazing, and I wish more people would get to a place where it's like you. You, I'm either logical or I'm woo. I'm spiritual or I'm. You know, whatever, and I feel like. Um, if people, and like you said, I guess it's, it's who's asking the question, who's having the conversation, but I just think it's so fascinating because I don't believe that we fully tapped into what we were, are capable of, or most of us have not right? We, we have a tendency to kind of be in this, those gray clouds while they might be in our brains, Sometimes they feel like we're walking through them and we have so much more power, um, over ourselves and our, our mindsets in the way that we perform. I'm curious from your perspective, because a, a lot of people who listen to this and me, myself, I've dealt with anxiety for a long time. How would you look at this from a perspective of someone who's dealing with anxiety on a regular basis? Like what practices would you put in place for them to start with that neurohacking to make it kind of easy and digestible for them to, to create a practice?
1: Yeah, so mantra work is incredibly powerful and you know, just kind of pulling back into what you said, there's no right or no wrong way to do this. You know, I'm very steeped in science. Um I I went through a PhD, um then I became a CEO and I'm super woo. You mm-hmm. know, like I I love spiritual elements of this work and I find that it it really elevates me and gives me purpose. Um so, you know, there's there's you can create for yourself, whatever works for you. However, this works for you. It's totally cool. Um, giving permission right now. Um, and so when we're talking about anxiety, it's gnarly stuff, right? Cause it, cause it's, it's taking over your body. That cortisol is flooding your brain and our emotions take the shape of waves, which is something important to know when you're dealing with anxiety. So the feeling will come on. Um, there's typically a peak or a crest and then it will dissipate. If at the peak or the crest, you're unable or your brain is unable to gain control over itself. In other words, the prefrontal cortex is not in the game. Then what happens is that wave keeps going and we move into a negativity spiral, otherwise called the ruminating mind. Mm. And so that's you know, what happens on a daily basis, we have so many emotions and so many of them are so subtle and they come on and they peak and they crash just like waves all day long. And then sometimes we get some really big waves that hit us hard. So again, going back to what's actually happening, hey, something in your outside world, outside stimuli tipped off, a memory, your thought traveled down a neural pathway and went through a neural mass. Your emotion took off, and that wave just went bananas. Um, so, in this moment, you can say to yourself, "I'm experiencing a negative automatic thought. I don't have to be subject to it." or whatever words work for you to define and describe that this is a chemical process that's happened in my brain and I don't have to take it. I don't have to live with this. Um, That in and of itself is a really helpful foundation to start to lower and dissipate those levels. Then we go into the techniques, which are naming the emotion. I feel angry. I feel sad. I feel anxious. I feel scared. Um, Another technique is to treat the emotion like a crying child. Thank it for its message and comfort it, and say, you know, you were really brave, bringing this emotion to me. Clearly, you're scared, Mm -hmm. and I can hold you, and I can hold that emotion. We're not going to let it hold us. Um, Other techniques are narrative journaling from the positive is a really powerful way to kind of force those intentional positive emotions and cut through a really heavy slice of anxiety. Exercise is awesome. Music is wonderful. And then, um, you know, qualifying questions like, will this matter a year from now? Whatever is bothering me? And just kind of put those practices into rotation, but really just to get into the habit of talking back to the anxiety and, and treating it like an entity that is outside of you because it's not you. Your anxiety is a chemical reaction and you can look at it and you can examine it and you can work with it and you can dance with it because it has a message that's trying to protect you.
0: I love it. I think that that's so incredibly valuable. And it's almost like you're trying to light up other parts of your brain, right? You're trying to kind Mm of, as you're naming, as you're asking these questions, as you're listening to music, slowly kind of trying to move into that limbic system, or I'm sorry, move into that logical, like, okay, like, how do I process this? How do I work through it? And that's something that we actually have done with our our kids. Um, My daughter has very big emotions. So from a very young age, we had this doll that would have like, The emotion, the face drawn on the front of it with the name on the back of it, and she could switch out like what the emotion was even before she could speak. And I found that being able to name the feeling at such a young age gives them so much more power um, to process and explain what's going on and to make it temporary Yes,
1: and that's so awesome that you've been doing this with your kiddos from such a young age.
0: It's really going to equip them for adulthood i feel sorry for their boyfriends (laughs) like i was we were having a a conversation at dinner last night because they they were having an argument we talked about immature emotional response and how to move into more of a mature way of dealing with things rather than one of them having to be right or wrong kind of saying okay well what does this really garner us right if we both feel staunchly that we are right and we're getting nowhere like how do we work through this And I was trying to explain to them, I was like, you know, we want to help you move to more of a mature emotional response when you're fighting. Because, like, look at our relationship. Like, as you move into boyfriends and girlfriends and they both, like, grimace, they're like, ew, gross. (laughs) Gross. And I'm like, you have to kind of, you know, these are the things, these are the tools. And as I'm talking about it, I was like, their in-laws are going to love them, but their husbands are probably going to be like, what the heck?
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. My husband says that to me all the time. He's like, this is not a fair fight. Can you just not be you and just show up? (laughs) I'm
0: like, I can try. (laughs) Right. It's so funny. But like, as we're talking, it's so interesting to me because- like I have, and I will be very honest, like this whole experience with the pandemic has had me deeply in that limbic system, deeply in my anxiety and trying to, trying really hard to make sense of things and trying to move out of it and trying to be like, okay, this is what this is telling me. And I have learned a lot about myself through this period of time, which I think is amazing. If you can walk out of this and be like, haha, I understand some of my flaws and why they're there. I understand how I process this way. Um, but I've also recognized that some of the conversations I've had have been based in that space. And so I think it's really interesting if to understand like, Hey, I'm having a chemical response. This isn't necessarily reality. Right. And let me get back to a place where I can properly process this and not feel that I'm a slave to um, my anxiety or a slave to some, some really big ugly feelings yeah, and you know, there's it, you're this is valid. Everything
1: that you described is is just a hundred percent normal and valid. And I think that everybody is experiencing big feelings and grappling with anxiety and grappling with the world and grappling with themselves. It would be really weird if
0: people weren't having those responses a hundred percent. I totally agree. I think it's 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 a fascinating space for us to be in as just a human race right now. Um, as we start to understand more about ourselves, our fears and the ways that we relate to others, because I mean, some of us are, are in homes with the people that we love, but we're missing others, you know, and some of our friendships are more important and more valuable. Um, and I just think it's, it's a really fascinating time. Um, if you look at it from a place of observation, if you look oh, at it, yeah. what can we
1: learn from, from this, you know, what can we learn from this? And, um, And two, you know, it's it's a time when I think it's a really rich opportunity to just cut yourself a break and to get into that habit of saying, you know what, this is weird. This has never happened before to any of us in our entire lifetime. Nobody knows. How to contend with this or what the right way is. And so I'm gonna practice just saying, you know what? I'm gonna listen to my body. If I need a triple brownie Sunday today, cool. (laughs) If I need a run today, awesome. You know, if I need to go to my partner and say, I don't want you to respond at all, I just want you to listen to me silently for 10 minutes.
0: (laughs) Cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know. It's so funny. I I love that. I love like the whole, it's kind of like all bets are off in a way and that. And here's another thing that I'm learning through all of this. Nothing is right or wrong. There's so many net neutrals and we've assigned so much gravity to the right way to wake up, the right way to have a mindfulness practice, the right way to um to deal with anxiety and and even and I think in that like I think as a I think as a species we almost feel this need to have like things be black and white, I'm right. And you're wrong. And if you do this, you're going to feel better. Mm -hmm. And I think if anything, this is kind of teaching us like there, it's really all kind of net neutral and we can learn what things are good habits for our body and why, and sometimes why we need to have that Netflix and chill time. Um, And I just, I think it's really fascinating. I've gotten to the, I've come to the conclusion personally that I just feel like um, we are built on so much shame that is used for more marketing and advertising. Um, yes, and that we've brought it into our homes.
1: Yes, yes. You're you're spot on. And you know, for your community and for your listeners, I would add that, you know, you are the only one who has ever experienced your life and your brain. And so the way that you are qualifying your needs right now can only be done by you.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Well, I want to, I want to pivot. I want to ask you the two questions I ask everyone. I love this conversation, but I'm so curious from, from your perspective, especially because of all of the work you've done to understand, uh, how your, how your brain works and, and coaching. If you were to look back at a younger version of yourself, what age would she be and what advice would you give her?
1: Oh, I would, I would talk to my 14 year old self. And my 14-year-old self was really bad at math, um, was starting to struggle with depression and eating disorders, and was pretty freaked out by the world. And I would tell her that um, she could look forward to a really awesome life and doing really hard things that are just unimaginable right now, but to stick in her pocket the knowledge that she could do hard things.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that. I remember being young, thinking I was terrible at math. I told myself this story and realizing how capable we are (laughs) much later on in life. Um, I love that. So if you were to um, be transitioning from this earth and you had a nugget of gold wisdom or inspiration that you wanted to leave behind for the next generation uh, as your legacy, what would it be? Oh, and I, I I feel like it's emotional, but um, other people matter above all else. I love that. I um, I was asked this question by someone else on another podcast, and it was funny because in the past, it's always been like, you're very powerful. And I, I took a, a second and I was like, find the humanity in the other people. Because I think so many times we just we want to put people into buckets and we become so self-obsessed, and um, we all matter. Every every single yeah. person matters. Yeah, so. yeah, and we can't do it
1: alone. You know, we would be very, very bored yeah. <laughs> as we're learning right now
0: if we didn't have other people. A hundred percent. I love the human capacity for connection and love and creativity that I'm finding like all the weird c- creative ways that we're finding c- to connect to each other and give each other like little love notes, you know, whether it's virtually or drive bys, my daughter doesn't know yet, but her birthday's coming up. And, um, so I am, I, I have just organized a parade, right? A car parade. Awesome. <laughs> outside of the house and I'm like, it's going to be so much fun. Um, and it's just, it's really cute because you see how much people want to connect and, and be available. And I think it's beautiful. I want to thank you so much for spending the time with me today and sharing your wisdom with our audience. If people want to follow your journey, where can they go? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So I Helm Journey Coaching, it's J-R-N-I, and we are at journey.co. And, um, you can find us on Instagram at journey coaching. I am kindness gangsta on Instagram. And if you are interested in learning about how to become a coach using the science that I talked about today, it's journey.co backslash
0: podcast. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining today. I loved this conversation wholeheartedly. We are amazing beings with the ability to get in front of ourselves, our old patterns and trauma with a bit of self-awareness and some basic rewiring. You can find Noelle at journey.co and on Instagram at kindnessgangsta. As always, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and don't forget to share with your friends. You can find me on Instagram at either Schneider or the live movement at loveisviral.media or live at loveisviral.com. Get deep in the work with me to uncover your messaging before you pass it on to your children or the people you influence. Order my book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, available on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. Until next time, in the words of my grandma, love each other every day.